0: And share what I've prepared for you from his word. Uh, because I know my words will fail in, uh, in proclaiming his excellencies and his awesomeness. But I'm praying that God would do a work in our hearts through his word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn to Acts 9 verse uh, 31. Our text this morning is going to be Acts 9, 32 through 43. But 31 will help us set the stage And I know I met like, I think, eight visitors this morning already, and so I know we have a lot of people visiting Grace Fellowship this morning. We want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, We've prayed that uh, God would bring you here, and now he has, and so we're thankful that you're here with us. And uh, if, if somebody's not already told you that we're so thankful you're here, I'm telling you, we're thankful you're here. And we would love to get to know you and serve you, uh, as the body of Christ, and to be a blessing to you and uh, and if you 're looking for a church home uh, i 'm a little biased, but i don 't think there 's a better one out there and so this is a wonderful, wonderful body and family to be a part of and so we hope that you get to know us, spend some time with us and uh, and we would love to get to know you so uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, let me catch you up we 're traveling through the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is an account of ...all that was being done after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Uh, so far we have seen immense persecution against the, the church, the first church, Jesus' followers. Uh, but over the last two weeks we've got to celebrate together the salvation of Saul of Tarsus... ...who was one of the main leaders in opposition, persecutors, against God's church. And because of his salvation and integration into the church that we've seen... Uh, we now have verse 31 that will lead us into the text this morning. So uh, let's look at the text and read verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, verse 42, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. God, we would be lost without your word your word is precious we need your word we need your word this morning embedded into our hearts that we may believe and live and father we know that uh, what I've just said we needed is not a natural act it's a miraculous act and so we're calling out and asking for a miracle this morning A miracle that we would hear and believe and be transformed and live as you designed us and created us to live in the beginning. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a few quick observations of our text as we begin. We're told in verse 31 that the church is not currently under any intense persecution. Peter is able to move freely and carry out ministry uh, as he's led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses Peter to heal a man named Aeneas and bring back to life a woman named Tabitha. In both circumstances, people turn to the Lord after witnessing the miraculous display of power. Now, a few other observations about the text that are a little more obscure is that this is the beginning of Peter's ministry beyond Jerusalem. Now, back in chapter 8, we saw him and John show up to the scene in Samaria uh, where Philip had been ministering to affirm the believers there, to lay hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but this, for Peter, is his own personal beginning of his ministry going out to uh, the believers, as we see, and, and other places outside of Jerusalem. Another thing to to note that you may not pick up from the text is this is kind of in an odd spot. Like for all of chapter 9, we've seen uh, and been told about Saul's uh, conversion and then his integration into the church. Now tagged onto this chapter uh, seems kind of like a random account of two healings by Peter. It's placed right before the big moment in chapter 10. Where Peter will get this vision that we all know about and meet Cornelius, so we've got to ask the question: why did Luke give us this account of Peter in Joppa and Lydda performing two miracles right before this big moment in chapter 10? There was a movie that came out I know a lot of you are like, another movie. Um, it's how I relate to life. Um, But there was a movie that came out when I was a teenager uh, called Jaws. Now, I don't think I ever watched an entire film, uh, but I I knew enough about it to make sense, and you probably do as well. If you've ever seen or heard about the movie, uh, then you know it's a movie about people getting attacked by a shark. That's what it's about. Uh, Everything else in the movie is used to lead up to this big event. So, from the planned uh, boat trip to the engine malfunctions in the middle of the ocean, these are all events uh, leading up to, leave us anticipating something big. They're preparing us for an awesome shark attack. Uh, <laughs> not that shark attacks are awesome. They're actually awful, right? Uh, but that's Hollywood entertainment. Now, if we zoom out, right, right? Uh, way out from the movie Jaws, and actually look at all of human history, then we could say the same thing about human history. Like, we could see that everything is headed toward the eschaton, the end. The day in which Christ will make all things new. The day in which he'll reign with us for eternity. All of life is leading up to that event. We're all being prepared for that event big moment. But if we zoom back in a little more, like we can see that in our own lives, like there are specific things happening at different moments in our lives that prepare us for different milestones. Like hindsight's twenty twenty, and I know you wouldn't have to think for very long to remember specifically how God has prepared you in one season for a season that's about to come that you had no idea about. Now, let's go back to Jaws for a moment. What are one of the signs that one of those awesome shark attacks or awful shark attacks, wherever you're at, what's one of the signs that that's about to take place? Da-na, 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 da da right? Like, even if you didn't even ever know anything about the movie Jaws, you probably just went, that's where that's from right? Because we do that. We're in the water with our kids. Maybe we shouldn't. Um, but we, we make that noise. Why? Because that's the sign that something is about to happen. When you hear that sound, you start looking around, right? Well, I believe that's what today's passage is meant to be, a buildup, a preparation for something big that's coming, that's about to happen. Now, you might be looking at the passage and thinking, wait, we got a paralyzed man healed and walking which brings many people to the Lord. Then we got a woman who's raised from the dead and that brings many people to the Lord. This must be some build up. And you'd be right. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, "Well, let's get to the big moment." Enough about this passage. Like, let's fast forward ahead. Uh, But if we did that, that would definitely upset Bruce Haynes. And more importantly, more importantly, we would miss the lead up. We would miss the lead up, the preparation, which is so, so important. You know, many of us fly through life oblivious to the many ways in which God is preparing us. And then we find ourselves surprised by these big moments in our lives. And so I think it's vital that we grow in our understanding of and sensitivity to the preparation or build-up moments in the Scriptures and in our own lives. So that we are not not only taken off guard, but we are ready to receive what God has for us to walk in. Amen? Like, so, so that's where we're heading this morning. Today's sermon is entitled, God's Preparation of his people. God's preparation of his people. Now, if we took this text and we sat down with someone who hadn't read any other scripture, what do you think they would be most impressed by just in this scripture alone? I don't think there would be any question that the obviously impressive part about this scripture is the power that we see on display. It's the power. Through the apostle Peter specifically. Now, just to remind you a few things about Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' followers. He was one of the leaders of the apostles. He was uh, the first to give a sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 2, after Pentecost. He healed a man in chapter 3. In Acts 5, we're told that people are actually like putting the sick in his shadow that when he walks by, his shadow might heal them. In Acts 8, he goes to Samaria, as we mentioned earlier. He lays his hands upon the believers there, and they're given the Holy Spirit. Now we find him at the end of chapter 9, beginning his own personal ministry. We know that either Philip or someone else had to have got the gospel to Lydda and Joppa before he was there, because there's already believers that are there. Um, The text tells us that he's traveling from place to place in the region, continuing to do the work that Christ gave him, which was Acts 1-8, to be witness, to be a witness wherever he went all throughout the world. The text tells us that he became upon a man named uh, Aeneas, who was paralyzed, been bedridden for eight years. Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, walks up and tells the man. I just want you to just sink in. Tells the man. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Make your bed. Walk. The people of Lydda hear about this and they ask him, come to our town. We've just had a, 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 a wonderful woman who provided, especially for our widows and those who can't provide for themselves. She's passed away. Come to our town. The entire community is sad. Peter goes in, kneels and prays possibly asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he turns to her and says, Tabitha, arise. She takes his hand, sits up, and is presented alive. Now, let's not just toss that in with, oh, that's Bible land. Guys, that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. I mean, have you ever done that? Told a man... Jesus Christ heals you, rise up and walk, are told a dead woman, arise. I I haven't done those things. And just to be honest with you, I don't ever plan on doing those things. But here's the thing, I don't think Peter necessarily did either. Like, I don't think Peter set out on a healing circuit. I don't think... He was overwhelmed by the disease and sickness and physical pain and suffering of people and thought, I know what I'll do. I'll fix this. I'll go heal a bunch of people. No. Rather, Peter was going about preaching the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Savior, the Creator, the God of the universe who is to be praised. That's what Peter was doing But he knew the place that power had. He knew that all throughout the scriptures, and even in the ministry of Jesus, power was used to authenticate the person. I don't want you to miss that. He knew that power was used to authenticate the person. If we remember back in the Old Testament, we have stories of Elijah and Elisha performing the same type of miracle that we see Peter performing in this passage. If we think into the New Testament, we have Jesus performing the same type of miracles that we see Peter performing. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment something. I want you to imagine that we have all the scriptures and we have the ministry and life of Jesus... Minus the power. Where would that leave us? Well, if we start from the very beginning, there would be no creation. I mean, think about it. Someone was powerful enough to create all that you see, know, feel, and enjoy. It would leave us unable to distinguish between true and false prophets in the scripture. <clears throat> if there was no power it would leave us without judges. It would leave us without Isaac, Samuel, and Jesus himself, who were all born miraculously. But then, imagine what if Jesus' ministry had no power? Like, he said a lot of good things, but never healed, never raised people from the dead, and he himself was never raised from the dead. Church we would be a pitiful group of people. Pitiful. Gathering and singing songs to some good ideas or notions or thoughts or folklore, spreading propaganda around to help people cope with their miserable lives. I mean, that's who we would be. And this would be terrible. But that's not where we are, is it? Our God has put on for us display of his incredible power through the speaking of his mighty word when he said, Let there be, and there was, out of nothing. (laughs) When he came down in fire and consumed the bush to speak to Moses, when he parted the Red Sea, and closed it back in on the oppressors of his people, when he fed people with the bread from the heavens, when he delivered for them water from a rock, when he brought down the walls of Jericho, when he made David's hand strong to defeat his enemies, when he caused the Virgin Mary to conceive and give birth to the Savior of the world, when through Jesus he healed the lame, fed 5,000, walked on water, raised the dead, and he himself Resurrected from the dead, defeating it forever. (laughs) And do you know why he did all of this? To authenticate, to declare, to make it known without a doubt that he is God. That's why. That's what we see in our text. That Peter heals this paralyzed man and raises Tabitha from the dead. And what happens? Many people turn to the Lord. Why? Because it's evident that he is Lord. He is worthy of worship. I mean, that kind of power is not natural. That's what? Divine. So here's a word for us, church. In 2020, God is still authenticating himself through power. He's still doing it. He hasn't stopped. And whether you're a cessationist or a continuationist, which are terms to refer to how God is powerfully working right now, both still agree that God has not stopped working powerfully. They just disagree on the how. But here's the important point. If we believe that God is still working powerfully among us, then why is it he's doing that? It's to authenticate the person of Jesus. It's to say that Jesus is God. That's the point of displaying his power. I was talking to a dear friend of mine this week, and uh, this woman, she loves the Lord, and she's full of faith. Uh, She told me that every person she now works with at this new job she's at is an unbeliever. And I said, well, I guess you know why God's placed you there. (laughs) And she said, yep. Uh, she then went on to tell me this week uh, that one of her uh, one of her coworkers this week were having major computer problems. The coworker was getting upset and anxious uh, that things were due. My friend said, I went over to her and I put my hand on her shoulder. And I said, let me pray that God would help you with this. And she prayed. She said 30 minutes later everything was working fine. Now, you might think that's silly. But I would ask, what's silly about being a witness for Jesus? Like, maybe all this woman has ever known about Jesus is he's some moral man who moral people follow. And what she's learning through my friend is that he's powerful, he's capable, and he cares. And if nothing else, that alone is enough to spark interest about his person. I can't wait till my friend has enough moments like this and gets the opportunity to introduce her co-worker to the God of the universe. Now, I tell you this story because we as people in 2020 are quick to jump to normative means. I mean, I just think if Josh Kane, who is a computer guru, was there, he might have said... Well, let me take a look and run some diagnostics for you. And here's the thing. There wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. Like, Josh is an expert in computers. And God would have probably used his kindness and generosity as a witness of how Jesus loves and is gracious to us. But my friend doesn't know anything about computers. (laughs) And this not knowing anything about computers did not keep her from helping. Rather, it gave her an opportunity to call out for God's power on this other person's behalf. You with me? I pray it will do the same for us. Like we know and worship the powerful, almighty God who puts his power on display to authenticate his person. And that's what we see in this text, Jesus' power on display. Hence Peter's use of the phrase, Jesus heals you, and many turning to the Lord. Now, it's important that we don't stop here. Like, while the power in this passage authenticates the person of Jesus, for our person just sitting down to read the text, it only authenticates that he's what? Powerful. That's all it authenticates. Okay, this, this person is, has to be divine. They're, they're powerful, right? But there's so much more. In our country today, many people follow Jesus, right? Some of you are like, uh, that's a trick. Yep. Because many differ about who he actually is. Many people have recreated Jesus in their own minds to be who they want him to be. They want Jesus to be a social justice warrior. They want him to be white or black. They want him to be conservative or Democrat. They want him to be love, however you might define that. They want him to be for truth, however you might define that. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. But the biggest reason for this, I believe, is that the church has done a poor job on revealing the person of Jesus as the fulfillment of all God's promises. I'm going to say that statement again so you don't miss it. The church has done a poor job on revealing the person of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all God's promises. You see, it's only in the context of God's promises that the person of Jesus can be rightly understood. This is why Marcion was kicked out of the church, and rightly so, in 144 AD. He tried to say that Jesus was someone other than the fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament. Wrong. He's not someone different. He says himself in Matthew 5, 17, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. If Jesus would have ever said anything like Marcion tried to say about him, he would have been a heretic. He wasn't starting anything new. He was the fulfillment of God's promises. You see, Jesus connects us. He signs the dotted line for us that we may receive the promises of God. Jesus connects us to God. He is the way to the Father. And apart from him, no one will see the Father. No one will receive the eternal blessings of God apart from Jesus. Way back in Genesis 12, we see the promises of God. God promises a people who know him, a place of blessing, a king and a kingdom, and blessing to the nations. And apart from Christ... We receive none of this. First of all, because we can't. Like, we don't measure up. If I called my friends down at Noble Bank this afternoon, well, I guess I'll have to wait till Tuesday. It's a long weekend. And I said, hey, write me an unsecured loan for $10 million. I'll come down later and sign for it. What's going to happen when I arrive at the bank? Some of you are thinking, I didn't know we paid him that much. Uh, what's gonna happen when I arrive for that check? Well, they're they're gonna treat me with respect and decency. They're gonna check and see if I qualify for that much money. But what they already know is gonna be found out, I don't. I don't qualify. And just the same way I don't qualify, none of us qualify to receive God's promises. But do not only do we not qualify, In our sinful state, our natural state, we don't want the promises of God. Like, we reject them. And instead, we embrace a lie that says we can be our own people and our own king. But here's good news. Jesus powerfully rescues us from this wicked way of thinking and delivers to us all the promises of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put His seal on us, given us His spirits in our heart as a guarantee. This is is really good news for us, church. (laughs) That the powerful person of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And it's as we trust those promises that we live. As we trust God's promises, we find life and hope and purpose and peace. As we mine His promises in His Word and take hold of them, By faith, day by day, year by year, we grow in Christ. And it's God's promises, don't miss this, it's God's promises that serve as the breadcrumbs to understanding God's plan. You with me? You see, the... People in Lydda and Joppa were placing their faith in the powerful person of Jesus. They realized he is powerful. Peter or some other apostle would have remained with them and faithfully taught them all that Christ commanded. Why? Because that's what Christ told them to do. And as they are taught all the promises of God, they would grow, they would be strengthened, and they would be able to walk in more of what God has prepared for them according to His plan. This is God's prescribed way of Christian growth. And this is how we walk more faithfully in accordance with His plan. But let's also, also let, don't miss this, pay attention to what God is doing with his servant Peter in the story. While God is using him to display his power so that people would trust the person of Jesus, grow in faith in all of his promises, and become more able to walk according to his plan that he has for them, Peter is being worked on as well. Peter hasn't arrived. In fact, far from it. We know that God is going to radically change Peter's thinking in the very next chapter. Next week. If you show up next week, you'll get to see that. The big thing that this is leading up to. God changing the way his apostle thinks about things. But what is God doing with him here? Here he is authenticating himself once again to his apostle. By displaying his power through the healing of Aeneas, By reviving Tabitha. By regenerating the hearts uh, in Lydda and Joppa. Peter is once again reminded that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And here, guess what? It's the promise given in Isaiah 65. God says, Sharon will become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. You want to take a wild guess where Sharon and the valley of Achor are? (laughs) This place. And this is just one of the places where God promises us that this is what he's going to do. And for the Jewish Peter, you better believe he's connecting the dots. And with every dot that he's able to connect, Jesus, as the fulfillment of this promise, and this promise, and this promise, and this promise, and this, promise and this promise, he grows more and more in his understanding of God's plan. <laughs> it's like these uh, constellations, right? I hope that's the right word. It's, it's, it's like when we look up and you're looking for these different constellations. You've got to connect the dots, don't you? And it's not until you connect the dots that you're able to actually see the picture. That's what we have in the promises of God in Scripture. As we're able to connect these dots, we begin to see, oh, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it. This is what God is doing in His grand plan. You know, God has never, and I don't think He will ever, give us His complete blueprint with all the details of how He is going to execute His plan. Maybe He likes to watch us bicker back and forth about theological and doctrinal things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's it. Probably not. Rather, He's always given us shadows and visions and prophecies of what he is doing but he withholds the details why because he wants us to trust him he wants us to trust him I'm sure if we could teleport to heaven real fast and we could see clearly with all the details colored in His grand design and plan for our lives and all that he is doing, we would not have a problem coming back down and enduring, being patient, and suffering well. Why? Because we would be blown away by his goodness and astounded by his genius. But, church, that's not what we get, that's not what Peter's getting. We get breadcrumbs that we consume by faith that lead us to better understanding of his plan. For Peter specifically, faith in God, faith in God's promises uh, have him becoming more and more comfortable being around those who aren't like him. I mean, this paralyzed man that he goes and walks right up to. A room that has a dead body of Tabitha in it, which would make him ceremonially unclean to be around. I guess until she comes back to life, and then maybe he's not. I I don't know how that works. But don't miss the ending detail that Luke gives us in this passage. Look at verse 43. Who's he staying with? Simon, a tanner. A tanner is not his last name. It's his occupation. A tanner is someone who deals with animal carcasses. Animal carcasses of all kinds. I can tell you it would have been difficult for someone like Peter, a Jewish guy, now one of the leaders of Christ's church, to stay with a guy who handles animal carcasses day in and day out. Talk about a bad roommate. But God must have been preparing him for something. I wonder what that could be. Right? Maybe you don't know about chapter 10. you got to come back because at this point you're like, right, I'm sorry. Church, this is why I love to preach. This is why I know you love to come worship our King. Because our God is magnificent. Is he not? He's awesome. He loves us. And much better than anything you could ever plan or want to plan for your own children. He has planned for us. And he right now is preparing us. So I would, I would beg you today, don't neglect, ignore, or forsake his preparation. Give yourself to him every day and say, Lord, I'm ready to be prepared. Prepare for what you have for me this day. Prepared for what you have for me this week, this year, ten years from now. Lord, I'm ready to be prepared to spend eternity with you. And then, after you've confessed that to the Lord and you've said, Lord, I'm ready, trust in his power to authenticate himself to you and those around you. Ask him. Say, God, give me the bread, which is your promises, That I may consume them by faith today. And then by faith, walk in those promises. And you will understand more and more His plan. Is that a good word? Man, I hope we can believe it. I tell people every week after we uh, finish with the sermon... I say, we all in here have the same job now. Believe what we've heard. Believe. God will help us. He'll make us believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and grace. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the fulfillment of all those promises that they find their yes in the person of Jesus, our King, our Savior the wonderful one, the one we worship and love and give ourselves to. God, would you please help us now? We need your help, God. It's so easy for us to hear a word and then walk out and just continue on back in the same patterns and habits. And I pray, God, that that would not happen in my own life and in the people who are listening this morning. Pray, God, that we would pause we look up and say, God, what are, you, what are you doing here? Help me to see. And help me to live as one being prepared. We love you, Lord, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sirs, thank you so much for, for being here. And guests, uh, we just want to thank you again for for coming.